0: This episode of The
1: Tome Show is sponsored by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to The Tome Book Club. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome guest host, Andy Meyer.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jeff Griner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related novel. Spoilers be damned in the full book club style. And our book for this month is Spider and Stone by Jaylee Johnson.
1: We hope you'll join us. And if you want to get in on the discussion with us, like I've been doing regularly now, to the point that they're actually making me work, can you believe that? Just shoot us an email at tomeshow at gmail.com. We'd love to include you, too.
0: And it's it is worth noting that due to uh, various family obligations and holiday hijinks and what have you, uh, Tracy um, didn't back out on us for this episode. Just didn't actually get the book read, and so we decided to go on without her. She missed the deadline. We're 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 just gonna cut her right out.
1: Well, that's only fair. We did that to you last time, right? Oh yeah, you did do that to me
0: last time. <laughs> ha ha! Take that, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> so so it'll be the the two of us this time around and hopefully some more people will join us for the second half um, if nothing else Tracy will hopefully be caught up and there'll be three of us for the second half and uh, I haven't actually you know, talked to her about this yet but I'm uh, hoping that we'll also have a chance to talk to the in- to the author um, J. Lee Johnson about the book as well for the-, the second half so people should make sure to let us know if they want to c- jump in and uh, join us
1: hey alright it's time to talk about Spider and Stone
0: I picked up the book and expected it to be a Drow story, and while part of me is interested in seeing how somebody who's not Ari Salvatore handles Drow, um, I was also kind of eager to see something other than Drow. Um, but I know that's sort of the big push right now from Wizards is, is this uh, this Drow theme, this Underdark theme. Right, uh, what is it? Rise of the Drow. Yeah,
1: rise of the Spider Queen. Rise of the yeah, Rise mm-hmm.
0: of the Underdark. Uh, is sort of the big uh, push, and it has been since before Gen Con now. Um, so, I mean, I expected it to be a drow, 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 drow story, and then I pick it up, and I read chapter one, and it's drow, 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 drow. Uh, and then, all of a sudden, it flips on me. And it tu- you, had, you had that happen to you, too, huh? Yeah, and it turned into a dwarf story.
1: With, with an amazing amount of skill, I should add.
0: It, yeah, it was, you know, it was done well. Um, you know, Chapter one actually had me... You know, I was okay with it, but I wasn't super excited about it. But then Chapter Two, and I realized it's not going to be a Drow story. Um, you know, the Drow are the villains. You know, as Drow probably ought to be. <clears throat> but it's actually a, a Dwarf story. Although the main characters aren't dwarves, it's all happening sort of in dwarven society and culture.
1: Yes, um, it, it actually pulled me in right when it switched from a Drow story to a Dwarf story, and in fact. I- they made the switch so quick, I thought maybe my file was corrupt.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, well, and, and the switch was really quick and, and abrupt to me too until we found out what was going on with, um, uh, what's the, uh, the assassin character's name? Uh, Zalgarza? Yeah. Um, and so when, it's, when we found out what was actually going on with him, all, the, you know, the entire first chapter actually being um, the dwarf king sort of ripping through his memories and trying to figure out what he was up to, and it was all just sort of a flashback the entire chapter um sort of made made everything go from okay well, let's see where this goes to oh, this is awesome you know mm-hmm. um dwarves are a s a are a culture in fantasy literature and especially in the forgotten realms that I've always been very interested in um so being able to explore this in more detail in a way that's not coming from again Bob Salvatore because he's done a little bit with dwarves as well, um, but I feel like this one is is seated a little bit more in the lore that exists rather than Salvatore who just likes to make up his own lore.
1: And that, that's kind of a question that, that I had for you, uh, as some people may have heard that I, I'm not as big of a Forgotten Realms fan as you are. Um, is this city? It's what's that? It's Karzar or Il- it's, Ilkazar? Ilkazar and Myth Baraka is that pre-existing in the Forgotten Realms universe, or is that something that, that was made up for this book?
0: Um, I would be fairly certain that that is pre-existing. Um, I, I'd have a hard time believing that they made something completely new up, and Ilkazar seems very familiar to me. Um, the, the drow city doesn't, but I don't, In in my realm's, uh, experiences. I don't spend a ton of time in the Underdark unless it's specifically relevant to something I'm running or whatever. Well, we'll
1: draw cities are a dime a dozen. So.
0: <laughs> well, it, except that, that ultimately uh, they all just end up being Minzo-Buranzan most of the time. It yeah. Just, it just yeah. happens to be located wherever you need it to be. Mm. <laughs> it's a large city. Yeah, apparently. But
2: uh, this isn't Minzo-Buranzan.
0: But gym, it is. not or buranzan but its you are right. And, and it's it's formatted differently and the society's different. Like, I got through the first couple of chapters and I and I was actually wondering, wait a minute, is this actually a, a realms book or is this just some other, some other generic D&D book or, you know, what's going on? And then it got a little further into it and got talking more about Ilkazar and, and what was going on with the dwarves and all that sort of start, started to sound familiar to me. And, you know, the main characters um, originally being from Waterdeep is like, okay, yeah, this is a realms book. They're just actually, they've actually just found a really interesting corner of the realms that I haven't read a lot about before. Um, which is awesome. I, lo- I uh, speaking love finding of new the jewels uh, in the realms.
1: Main characters of the book who are not dwarves, nor are they drow. Um, what's that? Iceland, mm-hmm. Ruin, and Sol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, something in the back of my memory tells me you and um, Tracy read a book with these three before? We did? Did you? Or, or, or maybe I was mistaken. About no, they also. Sound- this is the second book they're in, though.
0: It is, is it?
1: Yes, uh, I think uh, this uh, author has a book called Mistborn. If I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes. Oh, well, I knew. I uh, this author I knew had been around before. I just didn't realize that um that this was uh, a return to the same characters.
1: Yeah, I, I believe this is her third uh, book for D and D, and then the second one with these characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the the Forgotten Realms wiki right now. And it has a description, and it's all referencing um, *Miss Shore*,
2: which oh, which,
0: I, which isn't a book I've read. Um, I've the only this I think this is the first book I've read by J. Lee Johnson, and um, it's it's good to the point that I want to come back and read more about J. Lee, uh, from J. Lee Johnson. So it's amazing. I've I've run into a lot of that through the book club in the last year or two. Um, Eric Scott DeBee, Jaylee Johnson, um, both of which I'm, I'm really excited to read more and more of. Erin Evans, I've really enjoyed her stuff. Um, I feel like there's a, there's a new crop of Forgotten Realms authors that have been coming around in the last few years that I'm just sort of being turned on to in the last year or two um, that are just fantastic, and I wish I'd uh, read more about them earlier.
1: Yeah, there's enough seeds of the backstory of these three characters to, to make me want to go back and, and look at reading that uh, book that comes before this one.
0: And, and, I mean, it's not. it's not a
1: series, but...
0: Right, but, and that's that's even more interesting to me because, um, like, the fact that I didn't even realize that they were previously U.S. characters and yet felt like I understood exactly what was going on. That That is extremely well done. It's not always easy to do. You know, I'd be curious to talk to somebody who read the, the other book to see if, if it also plays out extra, you know, as a sort of bonus for them because they have the backstory. But w- without the backstory, I'm still into it hook, line, and sinker.
1: And that was the question I was trying to ask, but alas, you are not that person. <laughs> I am
0: not that person. <clears throat> no, that's awesome. I, I, and it seems to me that 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 seems to be the direction that Wizards of the Coast has moved lately with novelists. Um, this, again, this new crop of, of Forgotten Realms novelists, um, they keep getting work, but they keep getting individual books. Like they're all doing one story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're done, and they and then then they might you know if it goes well they might get a contract for another story with the same characters, and then it's done. They're not getting the trilogies that everybody used to to write for a long, long time. Um, you know, it's they're never going to are they or I guess are they ever going to get to be the next um, you know Salvatore or uh, Greenwood or uh, Paul Kemp or whatever if they're never allowed to actually tell longer form stories with with uh, a series of books instead of just one. And I'll be curious to see what happens with that.
1: Yeah, especially, if, but, um, but like I said, this one this one reads very well as a standalone book.
0: Yeah, so far it's been great. I've, I, I, again, I, I'm a huge fan of the dwarven thing and digging oh, that, in, digging into the dwarves in more in more um, depth and and it's just been really fun to me.
1: I, I would like to know just what I, Iceland's age actually is because they keep referring to her as a young girl.
0: <laughs> mm, does the book have a date listed? Um. Because I still,
1: ha- I still have tenth her page. Year I- twenty one. Uktar. What's the year? Yeah. Is twenty one a year, or is that going to be the, mo- the, day, the of day of day the month? Of the
0: day of the month. I, I
1: guess tenth year. Is... I don't know how to read these. Uh...
0: <laughs> Let me see if I can pull it up and find it. Because I've got her birthday. Uh, you're her. the ageless
1: one. There we go. Uh, Fourteen seventy nine dr. Fourteen seventy nine. mm
0: Hmm. That makes her. Some quick math. Sixteen. Wow, she is young. Yeah, but she doesn't. She doesn't play off that young to me.
1: I, I kind of felt it was the upper teens.
0: Although I suppose that's that's intentional. She's young, but she doesn't play off as as that young, and that's part of the the situation with her, right? Uh, all, uh, is it all of these characters or two of these characters have spell scars? Does Saul have one? Two of them. Yeah, Saul doesn't have one then. Uh, but so the,
1: then that would have been 11 when she killed half those people with with her spellfire gun. Warrant. Right. So and so she's got – made reference to five years ago.
0: She, so she's got the spell scar – and sort of the curse that goes along with it is that she she has um, basically a perfect photographic memory, you know. Um, but that means that she also can't forget things that she wants to forget. These horrible things that have happened in her life and, and that she's experienced, she can never forget them. And she's you know, anytime she thinks about it, she relives them in in all of their vivid detail. Um, and so, and and that combined with the fact that whenever she uses magic, it goes wild and uh, it ages her. Um, means so it, that w- while she's a, sixteen, it's a
1: chance. The the the, right. the more powerful the spell, the more more likely it will go. The out. more it's going it to take from her. always go.
0: Right. No. Yeah. Right. And but but you know the combination of that is well she's only sixteen, but she has a wisdom and memory that's much older than that because she remembers everything. Combined with the fact that her body has actually physically aged beyond sixteen, um, maybe is why in my head she she doesn't feel like a sixteen year old. Yeah. I mean I don't know that I would have placed her much older maybe early 20s mid 20s perhaps but is where I feel like she's at maturity wise. Mhm. Well that makes salt, uh, her relationship with the other guys even weirder.
1: Yeah that that's that's why it was coming across as creepy every time she was you know referred to as a young girl.
0: Well cuz she has <laughs> a, she, she seems to want to have a romantic relationship with with Ruin.
1: Who sounds like he's in 40 or so.
0: Who sounds... Well, or at least of normal sort of adult age. Although he's... Yeah. Again, according to the wiki, he's approximately born in 1449, which is... Oh, that is... That's good. 30.
1: Yeah, that, that is
0: significantly older than her. Yeah. That's a good 14 years older than her. So, that is weird. That she... Well, although the relationship and the romance there is entirely on her end. She, he doesn't seem to have any interest in it. So I guess maybe it's not creepy so much as, you know, sweet and innocent that she's that interested in that. You know, and and he's the mature one who's saying, "Yeah, that's not something that can happen."
1: <laughs> Although I get the feeling it's more because of his particular spell scar and it's related curse than anything else.
0: Well, they've they've sort of implied that, but But they've also sort of implied that maybe there's something more to it, and I've always just sort of thought, well, that was just him covering for the fact that it was the spell scar Mm -hmm. um, curse that he has, but maybe it's not. Maybe that's more real you know um towards the end of the section that we read she's she's feeling all rebuffed by him you know mm-hmm. she she actually makes some advances towards him and and he she's completely rebuffed and and i my thought was that well he's he just made it seem like he was rebuffing her but really he likes her and it's all because of his, his spell scar thing that he doesn't he doesn't want to deal with her um but maybe that's just because i misunderstood the age situation too you know uh maybe, yeah, was, maybe, maybe he was legitimately that's rebuffing that's how i read it too yeah
1: um and she she really just kind of laid it out. i mean she did, she wasn't hinting or intimating or anything. she just mm-hmm. put it right on out there,
0: <laughs> yeah, and we should mention his spell scar as well. His spell scar manifests um its curse in a form of whenever he touches somebody, he can sense how long they have left to live, and that led to him dealing with some troubles in his young life too, you know, um, people not wanting him around because. You know, he'd touch them and and freak out because they were going to die soon or whatever. And then they would, and they'd think that he caused it. A logical conclusion. (laughs) I find it interesting, um, and I didn't notice this, obviously, as reading, but as we're discussing and and I'm doing my research and looking through the wiki, um, they actually list Ruin's uh, classes as monk and rogue. And I guess I never would have realized monk fit in there. He all. Uh
1: yeah, there there is a one-off line in here that says he's a former monk.
0: Okay, I just the, as I hear hear or read the description of him and, and see his actions and whatever, um, I just feel very roguish from him, not very monkish.
1: Yeah, the monkish stuff might be manifesting in in how well he can do hand-to-hand combat, which seems to be a little bit better than your average rogue. I suppose. Right. Uh, although um, I, I, I don't really think of a lot of this in terms of game, game speak, I guess.
0: I didn't either, um, which is actually not necessarily a bad sign. Um, I feel like my goal is to – or what I want to see as I'm reading uh, a Forgotten Realms book or a D&D novel is I want to see sort of this very careful balance. Like on one hand, I want it to feel like it fits into the D&D game that I play, mm-hmm. but I don't want to see the dice roll. Oh, yeah. You know, so when they pull off a, a spell, I want it to ring true to a spell that could be cast in the D&D game, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily want to see, you know, the 66 dice of damage that were rolled. You know, or the, or necessarily lower the saving throw that was made and, and the half damage and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a very careful balance that has to be struck, and I, this book definitely didn't feel out of place to me. It it read like a and d um, Story and it seemed like it fit into that world, but it never even occurred to me to think about what their classes were and who they and what they did and whatever. You know, I couldn't tell you what uh, Saul's class was if my life depended on it right now, right?
1: Yeah, well, he's a butcher. He's a butcher. That's in, his class. The new upcoming supplement
0: mm. <laughs> for D and D. Next, there'll be a butcher class. Yeah,
1: there'll be a butcher class in the last four e supplement.
0: So. Oh, in, the, in the last four e supplement, okay. <laughs> Right on, and and Soul's uh, role, I think in the in the group, is largely to be uh, comic relief. Yes,
1: uh, comic relief and father figure.
0: Yeah, although yeah, I don't know that that it, it. I almost feel like because he plays the comic relief role, he doesn't get the respect necessary to to really be <laughs> a father figure. He tries. I I almost feel like he's given a, more respect than he probably deserves. Um, you know, the the king, when they go and sit down at dinner or whatever, is very sort of, uh, you know, defers to him all over the place for different things. Um, whether it be, you know, putting stuff in his food and all that kind of stuff in a way that, that would normally be very disrespectful. And they just sort of say, well, well, you know, it's Saul and he's a great guy and we're willing to accept that. It's like, eh, shouldn't they freak out about that? <laughs> at least she addresses it, right? She didn't just let it go when she wrote about that part.
1: Well, that could have been because he's the one that kind of – he tried to engage the king I think, when, when they sat down to the dinner.
0: Yeah. Well, and the guy, the guy holds – has no shame a little bit, right? hmm King, no king, whatever. You going got to sit he, down and treat everybody the same.
1: He's pretty straightforward. He prank. He just puts it right out there.
0: Mm-hmm. But that, that's also what makes him the, the comic relief. Um, so we didn't talk much about the dwarves. What's your take on them? Um,
1: it'd be interesting to know why there's so few of them
0: yeah that it, that's interesting because I found that um I mean that was sort of the the common sort of trope of dwarves in the realms for a long time is that they were a fading race, you know they had a long a long and storied history, but they were on their way out, sort of like uh elves traditionally are are depicted ever since Tolkien did that basically mm-hmm. uh in his stories and then uh, third edition happened and in third edition they actually had this um, this big event where suddenly um, the dwarven reproduction rate increased dramatically and there were a bunch of twins born and all this other stuff um, which was sort of the, the the explanation of well let's not make the dwarves a fading race anymore you know let's let's bring them back and give them a chance to to, to increase their population and become a, a force again. Um, so I find it interesting that they were this tragic sort of fading race, and then third edition they decided not, you know, to, to sort of reverse that, start, start the process of reversing that trend a little bit, uh, you know, making more of a rising race than a, than a, or a resurgent race than a, a fading race. Uh, and now I feel like very much from this story that they're fading again, um, or at least this specific dwarven city is fading again.
1: Yes, that, that, that's what I was going to say, too. Maybe it's just this specific dwarven city because the, uh, the king spends so much time in stasis.
0: Right. And that's the interesting little story, a little uh, deal with this as well, right? The king spends most of his time in the form of a, of a what was it, mithril statue, mm-hmm. you know, and then only comes out of it into a into dwarven form, you know, uh, every right. so many years to, to run things for mm-hmm. a little bit. And then he goes back into statue form.
1: Twenty-five out of every hundred years, he, he can he's in flesh. We don't know if, what triggers that or or what, but he happens to be in the flesh during the time period of the story.
0: Mm-hmm. Which has got to be strange because I mean, after a hundred years, all of your advisors and the people you knew and whatever, at the very least, are much older and probably not not in the same positions they used to be in.
1: The dwarfs have uh, what
0: three hundred year life? They have a long lifespan. But but even by that long lifespan, yeah. twenty twenty five or seventy five years is a significant It's a pretty, of time pretty to big on. chunk. Yeah. yeah, So I mean, there'll be people around that you know, but they won't be in the same positions that they were before. And some of your advisors might have might have you know gotten old and died and all that kind of stuff. It's just a it's a it's a strange sort of. I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing, and I'm curious as, if, if for more information about how that happened and what that's all about.
1: And we will be sorely disappointed if it's not revealed in the second half of the book.
0: Well, I suspect um, I suspect it's probably something that came out of uh, some, somewhere else, some other bit of, of Rome's lore, and, that's, and that we're probably not going to get it in this book. That's that
1: is something that I crossed my mind as well. But that's my guess. Although, I, as I said, I don't much about the realms.
0: So. Right. That's, that's my guess. I don't actually know. Um, I can see if there's anything in it. Uh, it doesn't really it' it mentions in this um in the wiki that that that's a thing that that's something that happened but that that happens with him king mythbarak um but doesn't really explain it's just a thing why it's he, is. he is he does that well and it could be i mean it, it cites sources from three different places including um the nineteen ninety nine dritz duer Duern's guide to the Underdark, and the Shanatar subkingdoms um, section of the Kindlekeep forums, um, which is not necessarily canon, but people who write the canon tend to hang out in, the, in those places. So mm. it might be something uh, listed in one of those places as well, or discussed in one mm-hmm. of those places. So, but no, I'm, and I'm really enjoying this. Um, as much as they're a fading people, uh, in the city. And I wonder how much of it is their population is actually shrinking or how much of it is sort of their the people being struck with this wonderlust. Because mm-hmm. um there's once or twice anyway that they mention um you know one of the, the dwarven uh, the younger dwarven um in the was it Blackhorn family mm-hmm. that sort of befriended the our our party of adventures. Um and one of them is like oh yeah I'm I'm getting married and, and we're defending the city but once that's over I, we plan on traveling back to the surface and, and making a life for ourselves up there. So I wonder if some of it isn't, you know, their population has increased, but then spread out. They, they're all leaving and, yeah, and you know, integrating more into the rest of the world. That, that across
1: my mind, too. When the king ponders if, you know, he, he could stay awake instead of sleeping, he, he could hold it together, he could make them strong again. And, that, and the, the thought occurred to me well, maybe he does that by stopping them from leaving. Yeah. But yeah, those, uh, the 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 trust couple. I, I I see great tragedy in the future. I, I don't think that's going to
0: happen. You think but so? No. That'd be sad. I'm well, actually yeah, kind. sad. Point. I'm actually kind of uh, rooting for them. If we're going to have sad parts where people die tragically, I, I'd almost rather they be A characters than B characters because right. you know, killing off the B characters then it feels like you just you created, you know, the author just created a sense of, of attachment to those characters just for the purpose of yanking us around when they kill them.
1: Yeah, I, I figure it's either uh, one of those two or both of them, or um Saul or Ruin.
0: Which one is that? Oh, Solar Ruin. Yeah. Sorry, you said it together and I thought it was what you were saying one day. No, no,
1: no Solar Ruin. No.
0: If it's going to be one, you know what, it could be either one of those two. I could see die and...
1: Yeah, either one would affect uh, have a... An, Similar emotional effect to
0: the mm. story. Well, a greater emotional effect, if, if anything, because they're they're sort of the A characters, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see in the second half um, what we what we get in terms of Drow versus um, versus Dwarven uh, story. You know, is it going to go more Drow? Because every right now we get, you know, what do we get every every five chapters or so? We get a Drow chapter. That's what it looks like, yeah. um, you know, So we get a little bit to sort of know what's going on with the villains, but that really seems to be the point, is just sort of knowing what's going on with the villains and getting to know them a little bit as well. So I'll be curious, um, like I was saying, I'll be curious to see what happens with the drow and to see if we get to know them even more, or if it's going to be continuing, you know, just every couple of chapters to let us know sort of what's going on with the villains.
1: Yeah, I get the sense that, that we'll just be seeing, um, you know, just seeing their side of the war itself. I, I don't know... I, I don't get a sense that we'll be getting too in-depth.:
0: Yeah. did you notice that the author stole my idea that we used that I used in our campaign? Which one was that? The idea that there's uh, bits of Mistra still out there in the world oh, hi- hiding yeah. in items.
1: I, I, I just assumed you'd stolen that from Canon.
0: That was all me, baby. <laughs> well, it was hinted at in, in the campaign guide, I suppose, but <laughs> yeah. that's where I got the idea was the campaign guide.
1: And I think uh, didn't they say some stuff at Gen Con about Mistra on the way back or drop some hints?
0: Oh well, the Ed Greenwood's Elminster books are um, are in the process of bringing her back. She's actually returned to some degree there already, mm-hmm. but not as a not as a goddess. But I started my campaign before all that came out, so well, I'm, yes, I'm still going to take it as a can as as an for I wasn't
1: there, but I can watch for.
0: It. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Um, all right, so what are we hoping to see in the second half of the book?
1: Um, some major, uh, A-list characters being, uh, emotionally butchered to pieces. Okay. Um, uh, an explanation of, uh, Itkazar, uh, the king's, uh, hibernation and or why the population is so low. Okay. And a resolution, it's probably the draw getting their butts kicked in some way or another. You think so? I would imagine Iceland getting her hands on the sphere. Oh, that is something I wanted to mention. Uh-huh. The, this whole arcane sphere script Yes. really feels like a macro that the author put in there to you know replace this later with something cool
0: sounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the name of the item does come off a little weird. Arcane sphere script. <laughs> Or is it Sphere Script or Script Sphere?
1: I, either way. Either, <laughs> either way, it just sounds... Because it's, it, a, it's becomes, a sphere. It really sounds like something where, you know, I'm going to come up with a better name for this later. So
0: <laughs> use this. Well, you know what? It's a drow book that doesn't include the crazy Salvatore-style names. So I'm going to accept it. Because if anybody is horrible at coming up with names, it's oftentimes R.I. Salvatore.
1: Uh, yeah, especially when he's on the phone with his publicist and being told to, you know, provide names <laughs> at the drop of a dime.
0: Yeah, but some of the names that he come, came up with and then stuck to, um, despite, you know, editorial uh, feedback, um, are just as crazy as the ones he, he made up on the fly, you know? Seems to be working for him, though. Uh, well, you know, he, it, he has a cert- it has a certain appeal. Um but I sort of want, it to, want to move past it, too. <laughs> and I'm, I'm willing to accept Arcane's script sphere because it is very descriptive of an item, isn't it? Yeah, because it is an Arcane item that is covered with script and is in the shape of a sphere.
1: That is exactly what it is. <laughs> it's uh, as advertised on the tin. But yeah, I, I, Iceland will get her hands on that and wipe out the drow.
0: You, you think it'll be that, it'll be that for easy, easy. Huh? It's going to be that easy. She'll just get it and, and become powerful enough to wipe everybody out is it going to fix her spell scar curse there's
1: only what 12 chapters left
0: <laughs> is it, is it going to stabilize her magic so she doesn't age when she casts anymore and stabilize it enough for another book until she has to go off and find something else yeah interesting and, and okay I, I'm not so sure that they're even going to win the war Yeah. I think Ilkazar might fall that they, is a possibility and they have to go on the run uh, I think it might be a tragedy in that, in that sort of um, scenario, which could then open it up to future books where maybe they try to take it back or whatever, right? But um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Ilkazar is going to survive intact. Um, I think if anybody's going to die, Myth Barak, uh, the king, is probably a pretty good um, person to, to have die off because he's sort of tragic and done with life and whatever anyway.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. It's well beyond his years.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I I'm not sure how that's all going to that's all going to play out. I I'll be curious to see um you know the current big um mystery that we're leading into is where is the arcane script, f- script sphere hiding? It's in the library. Um, we know it's in the library but but how how is that, you know, he she spent three chapters or more now talking about in various places um how it's hidden and it'll reveal itself and all this kind of stuff. It's like wh- where could it possibly be hiding that that you can't look around hard enough and find it, you know? Hello. Or is it going to be... One- it's on the top shelf. I saying, is, is, is it going to be on the top shelf? <laughs> see, I was wondering if it was going to be just one of those uh, sort of magical caveats of, oh, well, it was melted with a stone and it just floats out and it reveals itself to her, right? Uh, but I kind of want it to be something a little more clever than that. You know, it's hidden yeah. in plain sight, but nobody, could, nobody noticed it in, until it revealed itself or until some, you know, they came up with some sort of clever or witty way of realizing what was going on. We'll have to it's, see... It's-
1: Sounds like that do- old Doctor Who episode where the, the last piece of the key to time was, was actually his traveling companion. I believe you. I don't that, that was a long time ago. That's Tom day. Maker. Years.
0: Okay, so that's that's pre-New Who, so that's before my time. Okay. okay.
1: <laughs> Hidden in plain sight, nobody knew what it was.
0: Right there all the time. Right on. All right, I think we're ready to wrap this thing up. Any last thoughts on the book?
1: Uh, look forward to finishing it.
0: Yeah, I've I've actually really enjoyed it. I think it's one of the better books I've read in a while, and um, maybe it's just maybe I'm just glad to get back into some fiction. Um, but sometimes with the book club, I, I I feel like I have to get through a book, and this is one of the books that um, I'm not distracted at all. I want to pick it up and, and find out what's going to happen next. So
1: it's certainly one of my, my um, favorites that we've read so far.
0: Right on. Hello, Tome Show listeners.
2: This is your editor, Sam Dillon. We have a special treat for you. I am breaking in here to drop in some audio from longtime Tome Show contributor Jeffrey D. Wynn. He's been looking at some books that he has enjoyed reading, and we think you might enjoy them too. So sit back and relax, and then we'll return to our regularly scheduled Tome program. Hello out there in podcast land. This is Jeff, the other Jeff, not to be confused with your host, Jeff Greiner. And today I will be reviewing The Abyssal Plague. If, after listening to this podcast, you feel you have symptoms of The Abyssal Plague, please consult your local cleric. Thank you. The Abyssal Plague was a series of books, or really an event, that spanned multiple Dungeons & Dragons products from 2010 until 2012. References to the Abyssal Plague appeared in the Monster Vault, Threats of the Nentir Vale, as well as a couple of the D&D encounters, and I believe some of the adventures as well. Today, I'm specifically going to be talking about the Abyssal Plague novels, uh, and there are quite a lot of them, so bear with me as I list them all out. Uh, The Abyssal Plague starts with The Gates of Madness by James Wyatt. This short story originally appeared uh, in the backs of several books that were published. Part 1 appeared in Forgotten Realms, The Ghost King by R.A. Salvatore. Part 2 appeared in The Mark of Nerath by Bill Slavisek. Part 3 appeared in Dark Sun, City Under the Sand by Jeff Marriott. Part 4 appeared in Forgotten Realms, Whisper of Venom by Richard Lee Byers. And Part 5 appeared in Eberron, Lady Ruin by Tim Wagoner. All, all five of these parts uh, together form the short story, The Gates of Madness, which you were later able to download as a free PDF from Wizards of the Coast's website. There are a number of Novels that are not part of the Abyssal Plague trilogy, but uh, tie into the Abyssal Plague event. And they are The Mark of Nerath by Bill Slavisek, published August 2010. Uh, the Forgotten Realms novel Sword of the Gods by Bruce R. Cordell, published April 2011. The Dark Sun novel Under the Crimson Sun by Keith R.A. DeCandido, published June 2011. And finally, the Forgotten Realms ebook, Shadowbane, published by Eric Scott to Be in uh, September 2011. I actually have not read Shadowbane, but it has been reviewed on this show, so I suggest you see that episode for a review of Shadowbane. The main Abyssal Plague trilogy consists of Part 1, The Temple of Yellow Skulls by Don Bassingthwite, published March 2011. Part 2, Oath of Vigilance by James Wyatt, published August 2011, and Part 3, The Eye of the Chained God by Don bassing published April 2012. The story opens in the Gates of Madness in the D&D core world before the fall of Nerath. A group of, of adventurers are trying to stop a group of Tharizdun cultists led by a man named Albrick tharisden is an evil deity that wishes nothing less than the the destruction of everything in existence and was imprisoned by the other gods for his crimes in the final confrontation albrecht tries to open a portal to to tharisden's prison and ends up releasing something called the Void Harrow, a sort of demonic, crystalline ooze that possesses mortals and turns them into demons, specifically, abyssal plague demons that can spread the Void Harrow to others with a simple scratch. During the fight, one of the possessed cultists ends up getting knocked through a portal into a desert landscape with a red sun, which we can presume to be Athos, the world of Dark Sun. Later, one of the adventurers, named Damascus, falls into the portal into the, into the Forgotten Realms. Albrick, the leader of the cultists, is transformed into a creature called New Alin, a loathsome slime creature able to possess the bodies of living creatures and completely take them over. So this uh, sets up the rest of the novels that I'm going to cover here. Let's start with the Dark Sun novel. Under the Crimson Sun. This was by far the weakest novel in the series. It's, uh, it's almost hilarious in a way because the Abyssal Plague is no match for the oppression of everyday life that exists in Dark Sun. Uh, the plague infects a traveler who winds up in, a, in an arena in one of Athens', uh city-states. And with his enhanced powers, the uh, infected traveler provides a few weeks of entertainment for the people of the city uh, before his infection is finally discovered and destroyed. That's pretty much it. I did not enjoy this novel because, for me, it it really failed to capture the mood of Dark Sun. Uh, It was inconsequential to the rest of the Abyssal Plague series, and, quite frankly, it was pretty boring. In stark contrast... Is Sword of the Gods, the best novel in the Abyssal Plague series. Uh, this novel deals with the adventurer Damascus from uh, the Gates of Madness, who turns out to be a deva avenger called the Sword of the, of the Gods. Uh, it is apparently some time since the Gates of Madness, because we learn that Damascus has since been reincarnated several times, you know, he's a deva, that, that that's what devas do, uh, and he's been sent on missions from the gods to assassinate their enemies, uh, after which he usually loses his memories. Uh, this book has already been reviewed on the Tome, so you can see that episode, uh, and it even has a sequel now, which has nothing to do with the Abyssal Plague. Damascus is an awesome character, and I recommend picking uh, this up, even if you read no other Abyssal Plague novels. Okay, so let's move on to the main storyline. This picks up in The Mark of Nerath, a prequel to the Abyssal Plague trilogy set in the D&D Core world, specifically in the Nentir Vale. Uh, The novel introduces Vestapalk, the green dragon featured in D&D Monster Vault, Threats of the Nentir Vale, as well as a handful of other adventurers, including Shara, a human fighter, Albanon, an Aladrin wizard, and Oldane, a a halfling rogue. Uh, We learn that the demon creature New Aline has survived through the years and has escaped his prison, possessing innocent people and destroying their minds and bodies, leaving them dead when he moves onto a new body. Uh, this will all become important in the Abyssal Plague trilogy, uh, but largely serves as background elements here. Uh, the main storyline involves a young boy named Farron and an evil wizard called Margoth the Mad who wants him dead. Uh, although not quite as boring as Under the Crimson Sun, this was easily one of the weakest books of the series. The characters were completely one-dimensional and uninteresting, and the story is the kind of fantasy fair we've heard a million times before. Uh, I feel it, it might have done well as a young adult novel, but for most of the Dungeons & Dragons audience, I, I, I don't think it really quite holds up. Uh, It's worth noting that this is the first and last novel for Bill Slavisek, who was the director of role-playing games for Wizards of the Coast all throughout the run of 3rd edition and 4th edition. He left the company in July 2011, roughly six months before D&D Next was announced. So take that for what you will. Finally, we get to the Abyssal Plague trilogy, uh, which is the main story here. This features two books by Don Basingthwight and one book by James Wyatt, who also wrote... The Gates of Madness. Uh, although these two are two of my favorite writers, they were not able to save this series, I am sad to say. They had the unenviable task of taking Slavisek's one-dimensional characters and injecting life into them, while simultaneously trying to bring the Nentir Vale to life before we see it destroyed by the Abyssal Plague. The Nentir Veil vale, uh, has been the D&D core world for 4th edition, and by design, it's about as generic as generic fantasy gets. It's supposed to be a world where you can put anything from Fourth Edition, and it, it makes sense there. Uh, for most of the life of Fourth Edition, it's been little more than a collection of, of, of place names, and you know eventually we got a map. Uh, but there's really no sense of the culture or the history of this world, or even how big it is compared to other D&D worlds, even even worlds that have been around for only a short time, like Eberron. Uh, consequently, the authors here have very little to work with, and it's extremely hard for me to care about this world and the characters who are trying to save it. In brief, the story here is that the green dragon Vestapalk has been possessed by the Void Harrow and becomes the center of a new outbreak of the Abyssal Plague in the Nentir Vale. A group of adventurers sets out to stop him, including Shara, a fighter uh, whose father and boyfriend were killed by the dragon on, on an earlier adventure, and Albanon, who discovers he is a descendant of one of the original adventurers that imprisoned the Void Harrow way in, in, in the first place, uh, way back in the gates of madness uh, it's not a bad story it's full of action adventures sudden betrayals interesting minor characters and exciting adventure locations it just never came together for me I simply didn't like i I, I didn't latch on to any of of the main characters uh, I felt they were a little boring uh, you know their behaviors were predictable from you know, there, you, you have Shara, the brooding loner who never wants to talk about her feelings. You have uh, Old Dane, the halfling thief, uh, who behaves like an autistic kleptomaniac child. Uh, you know, really? Really, folks? Um, we are told, as the story goes on, that this abyssal plague is a, a global disaster, right? Not only for the Nentir Vale, but for the larger world outside the Vale, but uh, somehow, all that just failed to register uh, emotionally for me. Uh, even the descriptions of, of you know, burned-out farms and and the towns of Fallcrest and Winterhaven struggling to survive uh, f- failed to bring it home because I had no emotional investment previously in these people. Uh, when this series was announced in 2010. Uh, I had high hopes. This was going to bring back the concept of the multiverse from the old Planescape days. This was going to be like a like a big blockbuster crossover that uh, that, that DC Comics does every summer. And unfortunately, it's it's the Abyssal Plague didn't do any of that. There's really no there's really no meaningful interaction between the D and D worlds here. Dark Sun and Forgotten Realms weren't really affected by the plague at all. Dark Sun is such an awful place to live that it just swallowed the plague whole without a second thought. Forgotten Realms has so much powerful magic and weird creatures that the Abyssal Plague uh, winds up being just another monster there. So, my final recommendation here is to read The Gates of Madness, which you can download as a free PDF from Wizards of the Coast website, followed by The Swords of the Gods by Bruce uh, Cordell. From there, if you really want to know what happens, I say skip the Mark of Nerath and go straight to the main Abyssal Plague trilogy. That's my review. I hope you liked it. If you want to leave a comment or a question, you can contact The Tome through their regular email address, or you can post a message on their forums. This is Jeff Wynn, signing off.
0: And that's the end of our episode. I want to say thank you to our fill-in guest host, Andy Meyer. Which people can find on Twitter at AWMYHR. AWMYHR.
1: That's right. All right. Thank you for having me. If you want to get in contact with The Tome Show, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com, or I guess you can pick up one of those old fashioned telephones and call the Biz Line at 919BizTome.
0: And you can find show notes for this episode and everything else that we do over at thetomeshow.com. And that has been Spider and Stone, a Tome Show Book Club episode with guest host Andy. Join us next month where we will be finishing the book and hopefully chatting with the author Jaylee Johnson, although I haven't told her yet that. Mwahaha.
2: I'm on the wall.